Today, consumers expect convenient, relevant, and responsive engagement across every interaction, whether in person or through their inbox. Braze is a comprehensive customer engagement platform that enables marketers to power relevant and memorable digital experiences between consumers and brands they love. See why leading brands choose Braze at braze.com. On with the show. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the DTC Podcast. I'm Eric Dick, and today we're getting warm and toasty with Rumple Blankets founder Wiley Robinson and his head of e-commerce, Shane Roach. Rumpel turns high-performance materials into usable works of art that keep you warm indoors or out, and they've been blowing up the blanket space with their amazing approach. Uh, I want to welcome you two both to the DTC podcast today. How are things going on the, in, the, in this uh, gray Pacific Northwest? Going great. Thank you so much for having us. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Very cool. Uh, Shane, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the genesis of the brand and, uh, and how it came to be? I'll let Wiley take that. Sorry, Wiley. Okay. That's what I meant to say. Wiley. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, so the, the brand, um, sort of the idea for the first product was was uh, started in about 2012. I was on a ski trip with a good friend of mine. We were uh, staying just outside Mammoth um, in our car, and it was like the coldest night ever on record in Bishop, which is the name of the town we were in. Um, woke up the next morning, and the car was completely frozen, wouldn't turn over. So we had to just wait in the car for somebody to show up and help us out. And while we were waiting, we climbed into our sleeping bags and, um, you know, just hung out there for a few hours. And, and during that time, we started talking about how actually we, re- we really weren't that uncomfortable, despite being in this kind of precarious situation. Um, and that was because of our sleeping bags. You know, we really felt cozy and comfortable and safe. Um, and we got to talking about how we really enjoyed the materials in our sleeping bags far more than the, than the blankets on our beds back home. And we decided when we got back home and we got out of there, we were going to make a sleeping bag blanket. And that was the genesis of the idea for the company or for the product, I should say. Um, and we had our sleeping bag blankets for a couple of months and, and that was sort of the end of it. Um, but a number of our friends said, this is a really interesting idea. You know, I think I'd, I'd like something like this. So still pretty unsure if this was a viable business or idea. We decided to launch a Kickstarter and the Kickstarter did really well. We did uh, just shy of a quarter million dollars in about 30 days. And that really told us that this is a viable idea and more people want this. And from there, um, we, we really started thinking about like, okay, what have we created here? Is this just a singular product or is there more of a brand platform that we can build on here? And that really evolved the notion that blankets as a category are like really uninspired. Like basically the blankets you can buy today are the same ones you, can, you, you could have bought a hundred years ago. It's mostly cottons and natural fibers and uh, meanwhile, there's been all this amazing material technology developed in outdoor gear and athletic apparel, and really none of that technology has flown through into the blanket category. So that that was really the idea for the brand and what we've begun to build here with Rumple. Very cool. I, I love that idea of performance materials. I was talking with Stojo last week, and they had a similar thing. They're, they're a collapsible, reusable cup where they, they took inspiration from the, the, you know, these technical uh, you know, camping you know, equipment things. And uh, I, I think it's really such a great idea and it really just shows you the power of bringing something novel like it doesn't have to be wildly complex your idea as long as you've got something novel that people can kind of rally behind like and i almost everyone 
you know, when you're in a sleeping bag, you're having a good time, you're outdoors. And I also have this positive association with that, like feeling of safety and warmth that you get from those kinds of technical uh, materials. So it's really cool to see and amazing to have used Kickstarter just to get such instant feedback that you were in, in a good place. Yeah, that really, that really told us that this was a legitimate idea. Um, we thought it was cool, but we really had no idea if, if others would like it, people outside of our circle. And this really proved the idea out for us. Very cool. So what was your first move after you, you proved the concept? What was your, what was your first move at, at that point in terms of making these, selling them, going to town? Oh man, there was a lot. I mean, there's just so much housekeeping in the beginning, you know, setting up the legal entity, figuring out what your fulfillment solution is going to be, building your website, you know, actually finding a, you know, a legitimate supplier that you can rely on, um, getting your cash and banking all in order. There's just a lot of housekeeping. Um, maybe I won't necessarily bore you with, with those details, but for us, it was really about taking what we had, the, the cash we had generated through the Kickstarter and reinvesting that smartly into inventory and infrastructure that we would need to build the business. That's very cool. That, and that, th those are the things that they're not always the sexiest things, but they're the things that have to be done. Uh, yep. Can you give me an idea of the infrastructure you had to create? Obviously, I love, you know, product that that makes sense. You've got to make, make sure you, you've got a good, you've got a good producer, reliable, all those things. But on the infrastructure stuff, I'd just be interested in, in some of your, your thinking around that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely nuts and bolts infrastructure that, that every business entity needs to get off the ground, like your legal counsel and your, your corporate entity registration, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. But for us, uh, my background is in branding. So it was really important to me from the beginning that we really establish a solid brand foundation. And I would view that as like really the infrastructure platform that the company is built on today. It's like defining the mission, the vision, what you're trying to do, uh, what you don't want to do more importantly, and using that as the foundation for what you're building on top of. Love it. What was your, so let's dive in a little bit there. Like what was your actual process for uh, getting the brand figured out? Did you go to an agency? Did you, did you start it on a napkin? <laughs> Maybe somewhere in between that. Yeah. Um, I, I came from an agency, so um, I, I that that was fortunate for Rumpel. Um, you know, I had a lot of experience building brand foundations and thinking about brand in that way. Um, so it was all done DIY in house, um, and I say in house, but like that actually means the desk next to my bed when we were starting. <laughs> Literally in your house. I like it. That's true yeah. in house. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really came down to like, okay, what is sort of like the the what is the DNA of the product we've created? We, you know, we've taken, we've taken these performance materials and applied them to this sort of dated category that hasn't been inspired for, for decades. Um, could we extend some of that thinking into new products? Could we develop products sort of underneath the blanket category? Um, what are the things that are going to matter to our customers? It's really taking a sort of a holistic 3D view of what your customers care about, what can your brand support, what should your brand support, um, and, and I would say, I mentioned this, but like more importantly, what your brand really shouldn't do. Um, that was, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent from the no, question, go for it. but, um, one thing that's sort of interesting in the story of Rumpel is I started the company with the friend I was, I was on the ski trip with, he was my co-founder in the company. And during that first few days of the Kickstarter, we were totally blown away by the results. And we were like, oh my God, what have we created here? And we, we got to thinking about how we've taken you know, camping technology, camping materials, and apply them to this everyday indoor product. Um, we, we viewed this as like an on-bed indoor product at the time. And we thought, okay, well, can we take some of that thinking and apply it to more home goods? And we actually built this whole idea of, of a new category called active homeware. And this is actually a trademark we still own today. And I still think this is a really cool, interesting idea. Especially now, when everyone's absolutely. at home, right? 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a great idea. It's still IP that I'm going to renew every year for sure. Um, but like the idea is you could take performance materials from outdoor gear and active wear and apply them to a whole suite of indoor everyday home products. You know, you could imagine blankets, bedding, sheets, towels, robes, slippers. I mean, we've, we even had ideas for like furniture upholstered in, you know, moisture wicking stain resistant fabrics cool. that currently isn't really happening in home goods, um, which makes no sense because things get dirty. People use their, their home products all the time. And they've developed all this amazing technology in textiles in, in other industries that just really hasn't flown through. So I'm, I'm going off on this tangent here to, to um, explain the point that we had this big idea for active homeware, all these different products we could make. And really there was like a, a coming to terms with the fact that we were a blanket company and we had to keep reinvesting our money into blankets. We had to keep reinvesting our energy, our message, our narrative into blankets. And that's ultimately kind of where my co-founder and I hit a crossroads and he was really passionate about this active homeware concept, which again is a really cool idea, big idea. Um, and I was like, we really got to focus here. We got to do one thing really well. This is what customers are going to know us for. And that's really ultimately what kind of resulted in us parting ways. But all this is to say part of that foundation is establishing what you can and cannot do as a brand. I love it. That's, that's, that's great. Uh, great insight there. And can we talk a little bit about the go-to-market strategy? Um, you know, re, I, I, there's an interesting point here about retail versus wholesale. Uh, is, is that when, when did Shane get involved at the, at the, as, as the head of e-commerce? Can you speak to that or, or Wiley, should you speak to it? Uh, the early days of how you went to market. I can talk about early days. I mean, honestly, our, our e-com strategy now is far more sophisticated than when I was running e-com, you know, four or yeah. five years ago. Um, and, and I think it would be great if Shane talked about some of those tactics, but early days wise, um, you know, how we were going to market, frankly, was like the, the best way I can describe it is just hustle. I mean, we were going to like weird street fairs in San Francisco, which is where the company was, was started. We were, you know, sending products to people that we thought would be able to be influential. We did hire a PR agency fairly early. That was like sort of the one strategic thing we did. Um, and that was really helpful. You know, I think we were paying two or 3000 bucks a month for a PR agency. And anytime you get a good press hit, that returns in, in, uh, you know, in sales pretty quickly. So that was a good thing we did right away is, is hire an external PR agency. Um, and then back to your question about retail versus direct, we actually originally kind of opened up the floodgates to all channels and we were sold on a number of discount sites, touch of modern mass drop, uh, Huckberry was a pretty early, early adopter of Rumpel. Um, and as we started opening up a couple of stores, brick and mortar locations, we realized we just did not have the infrastructure in the back end to support retail. Mm. It takes a ton of effort for people to receive orders, you know, ensure that inventory is available, send those orders out, maintain all of your AR, all that stuff. We had, we had no back end to support any of that. So we opened up probably 20 or 30 stores pretty quickly and immediately realized that we couldn't support them not only with marketing and sell through tools, but also with just like basic operational tasks. I'm picturing Lucille Ball on the chocolate assembly line, just like trying <laughs> yeah. to get it, like trying to yeah. get it all I done. I mean, that's like pretty much what it was. <laughs> it was. It was us really not knowing what we were doing um, and taking the business because we thought, okay, well, this is business. You know, we are trying to grow the company here. This is revenue. Um, but we just did not understand the selling cycles. I mean, like none of it. So we pulled back from that pretty considerably and really focused on our website uh, at the time, we had just gotten into REI and we kept Huckberry as a partner because we thought okay. they told the story really well. So it was really just the, the website, Huckberry and Rumpel. And we did a very, very small amount of Amazon business back then as well. Got it. Um, so 
you know, we have a lot of DTC brands that listen to, to this. And I think we have a lot of founders who, who come on and they, and they, they take, they take on everything to start. They take on the marketing, they take on everything. I, I'm, when did you, you know, how early did you bring Shane on as sort of your head of e-commerce and, and then Shane, let's move into you and, and talk a little bit about, about what you've kind of built uh, in terms of the customer acquisition side, but let's start with you, Wiley. Just like what, how was that process of like finding your head of e-commerce? So we, we had one head of e-commerce before Shane. Um, he came from Nike. He actually was offered a really incredible job as VP of digital at Rag and Bone. Um, and so he took that job. We couldn't, we couldn't even come close to, to meeting his compensation needs and all that stuff. Um, but meanwhile, you know, I had actually been, I, I think, I, I think we had a beer while, while uh, Aaron was still working for yeah. us, if I remember correctly. Yep. And, and the way that I found Shane was just trolling LinkedIn and looking for people that had worked at interesting companies. And my wife is a recruiter, so I have this kind of hack on, on LinkedIn where you can write some code into the search bar and find people that have had experience in any number of companies that you want to list in that search. Wow, that's handy. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good tool. Um, so anyway, I, I punched in like Lyft and Everlane and, you know, Bonobos and all these, all these great companies. Um, and Shane popped up with both Lyft and Everlane. And he was based in Portland, which is where we were. So I was like, all right, this is a rare skill set for Portland. Um, awesome. So I want to meet this guy and have a beer with him. And we went out and had a beer. And immediately I was like, this is a good person if our e-commerce lead ever leaves. And right. sure enough, he did. And right away, I hit up Shane. I don't even know if we actually opened up the search, to be honest, for an e-commerce lead after that. It was like, I want to talk to this guy. Very cool. All right, Shane, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about, a little bit about your background in these, these amazing keywords that came up in Wiley's search for you, and, and, then, and then go into a little bit about what, what you've done with Rumble. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my background is I studied business in school, um, and entrepreneurship was my focus in the business school, so always been very entrepreneurial and like working at companies. And so right after school, I moved to San Francisco and I was actually a really early employee of Everlane. Um, so I was the 26th employee there and worked there for three years, cool. mostly in uh, customer experience operations, but then moved into analytics. Um, and then I spent a couple of years working at Lyft and Lyft at the time was about 800 employees and had just made it through not getting squashed by Uber and got a, a, a raise. So um, spent a lot, uh, a couple of years there working in analytics. So going a lot deeper in analytics, but still kind of missed the retail and branding space. And so in my, in my side time, like always paying attention to new brands and new marketing tactics and things like that. And then my wife and I moved to Portland and was looking for jobs in Rumpel. I had known since Kickstarter, um, years ago. Um, and it was just kind of serendipity when Wiley and I connected. But, um, when I joined the team, we were about I think 12 employees at the time and we've kind of shifted and now the company's growing, growing a lot, but I, I really came in from an analytical background and from like a more D to C background to really overhaul our stack and get a new set of eyes because Wiley and team were, were running the brand and e-com before and Aaron, who we mentioned before for a year, but um, it was a new set of eyes and a different set of experience coming in that I think has really helped us. And I've been with the company for about two years now. That's very cool. Can yeah, and just, just to Sorry, reiterate, yeah, just to reiterate, um, or or to uh, just build on what Shane said, um, we didn't have a real analytical function in the company before. Um, you know, Aaron, our our previous um, ecom lead was 
was really more sort of around like visual merchandising and making the site look good, but there wasn't a whole lot of like in-depth data analytics or analysis happening. And um, I think that's specifically why I was, why I found Shane, because I saw this analytical background and um, just thought that was something that the, that the business could use. Um, so we've, we've since realized that that's like, that's what should be leading our e-commerce channel actually. Um, and, uh, and I think it's been hugely transformational for the business to have someone like Shane leading that channel. Can you give me some examples, Shane, of, of the kinds of analytics that you really dove in on or the things that you wanted to see <laughs> right away that have sort of unlocked some of the potential of the brand? Yeah, I think one thing and, and similar with probably other people you've had on or listeners is um, maybe as you're starting a company or starting a brand and you, you have your stack of Shopify plus and or Shopify and you have these different um, Google analytics and other channels that you use and all of that reporting is really done in platform and it's siloed. And so the first thing I did is we hired an analytics manager um, because I came in as, as head of e-commerce or e-commerce manager and was going to be doing a lot of analytics, but not fully hands-on. And so we really, even as a small company, 10 employees, we got uh, a database set up and we got all of our data piping in so that we could access these tools and this data and get this data to really tell a story together. So get our site data to speak to our email data, to speak to our Shopify data and could build a user profile from there. So really setting all of that stuff up and then just looking at things so much more quickly uh, in SQL versus having to download an Excel file from here and download a CSV from here and trying to marry the two. It's just easier to turn out reporting and set up an infrastructure where you can have recurring report, reporting set up and running. Um, and what was manual work? This, what are some of the key insights you've gleaned from this setup that have sort of allowed you to scale? I mean, there's, there's so much, I think it's really like the, the main thing or one of the first things was just setting up a lot of internal dashboards that you could look at at any second that Wiley could look at and understand like how's e-com performing, how's wholesale performing, um, how's email performing all in one place versus jumping into Klaviyo, looking into Google Analytics, looking in the back end of wholesale. And so really it's just like getting more visibility and setting up that, that culture of looking at the numbers a lot more regularly and understanding of that way, and then facilitating that to the rest of the team. Um, so it's not as siloed. And so just four or five people are looking at the stuff so that, you know, every team member can look into this and that if they have something that they want to look at and aren't necessarily capable of building themselves, that they have a place to go to where they can get it built and, and view that. Love it. And I think with e-commerce, so much of it is balancing, you know, your ad spend um, with, you know, you know, putting the money out there and knowing that you're going to have a return on it over time. And even, even when, you know, the really good brands are doing it over a customer's LTV as well. So I yep. feel like more that, you know, like as a newsletter, right? Like we know exactly, uh, you know, what our revenue per user is. So we know what we can afford to pay. So we can kind of just yep. grow. And that's obviously the name of the game in the e-com space. Yeah. And I think that was, that was actually a really big thing. And that was, be something that Wiley or, or Patrick, our VP of ops would look at, you know, periodically, maybe every six months into the reporting, but LTV is a super important thing as you're ramping up ad spend to understand, okay, what's our LTV for this cohort over the last six months or the specific cohort in this quarter, the season, then we acquired the customer and how much are we seeing as we launch new products or new sizes or new colors, how much are we seeing that LTV grow and repeat rate? And is there room to increase CPAs or is there room to um, increase LTV through other channels that we can then increase marketing budget? So 
that's something that's super important. And um, LTV and repeat rate, of course, is is very top of mind. Very cool. Uh, so Wiley, you, you know, you've built this great product. You, you, you've I'm I'm so impressed with how good each blanket looks. It gets me thinking like you could be these could be wall art. Like you know, they could they could this could be the first wall art blanket um, that that you'd have there. I, I'm interested. Uh, like how, uh, can you talk a little bit about your artists program, like how you've actually brought in, you know, a community of artists uh, to, to sort of support the product? Sure. Um, so the program is called the Rumpel Artist Division, the RAD program for short. Uh, and we've just seen that to be a really great channel for bringing in new customers and allowing artists to express themselves on this big canvas. Yeah. Um, the product lends itself perfectly to, to artists being able to showcase their work on a large scale. Um, and it creates really great prints for our customers. Um, so it's, it's really kind of like an obvious solution. Um, and it's something that we've seen do really well over the last 12, 18 months and something that we're going to continue to invest in quite a bit, um, throughout the rest of this year and into 22. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm wondering, like th that kind of leads into my next question is sort of like, is this, this has got to be one of the ways that you're fending off copycats in the space. I know, I know there's a, there's a lot of different blanket, uh, blanket companies out there. I'm curious, how are you, how, how you're you know, sort of building your moat in the blanket space? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and definitely one that I get asked by our investors quite a bit um, because the product itself is pretty easy to copy. Um, there's nothing really that we've invented here. We're taking sort of off the shelf materials for the most part and sewing up these blankets with them. Um, we do have a little bit of IP and protection around obviously the name, the logo, uh, we have a couple of technologies we've developed in some of our fills. One is Nanoloft, which is sort of a ground up post-consumer recycled fill that we've developed. But generally speaking, you know, something similar to Rumpel is pretty easy to make. Um, so the way that we fend off competition, honestly, is, is one, first and foremost, focusing on this category. And by focusing, we're allowed to go much broader in terms of print depth um, and really provide a lot more choice for the customer. So other competitors we see out there, they might have one, two, three, maybe four colors or something, but they've got other products that they need to support and need to invest in those products and building those franchises. We're really focused on just this category so we can go much deeper. Um, so that's a big one. The second one is just really prioritizing working with the best partners. Um, our artist program that we mentioned is a great example of that. We really spend a lot of time sourcing the best artists or what we think are the best artists. Um, we compensate them very, you know, favorably and, and make them want to work with us, um, allow them to want to work with us and support those artists and tell their story in a really meaningful way as well. Our brand mission is to introduce the world to better blankets. And there's really two pieces of that. The first of course is like the obvious more tangible one, which is applying these technical materials to the category. But sort of the second piece of that, which is, which is I think more important and really what does build the moat around the company is the idea of creating this emotional connection with the customer. Um, blankets in and of themselves are inherently emotive products, right? Like you wrap up in one to feel warm and comfortable and safe, but very few people can name a single blanket brand. And so what we try to do is really like make Rumpel the brand that people think of when they think of blankets. And we do that through things like our artist program. Um, another great example is just our overall give back strategy. So we're, we're a B Corp. Um, we're 1% we're for the planet members and we're certified climate neutral. So we offset 100% of our carbon every year. We donate 1% of all sales to environmental causes. And then as a B Corp, um, there's a whole bunch of other things we do on the back end to make sure that we're a good company, good place to work. And we're doing the best that we can to be, um, you know, not harmful on the planet or people that we work with. So 
I love this. This is the this is the best part about the D2C movement. You know, you've got all these companies that are coming up, they're building their own brands, and I feel like they're building things in a, in a new way, you know, and, and, and with this kind of sort of consciousness environment, you know, environmentally consciousness uh, involved just, and it's, and it's just, again, it just makes sense because that's what your customers care about in a lot of ways. Um, and so it's, it's just, I, and I think, I think if all businesses, you know, are, we're able to make small choices like this over and over again, uh, we're going to make the world a better place eventually. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's like a very clear tie to doing the right thing and actually generating more revenue. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an obvious business choice. It's an obvious moral choice, and it becomes a really easy choice when you think of it in those light. I wanted to ask you if you've ever done limited edition. This this is something we were just talking with a beverage company the other day, and they're seeing a ton of success with this drop format, where they're actually dropping limited edition flavors, and and with art, like with the the artist connection. I'm I'm wondering if you've ever experimented with limited editions. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much all we do with the artists. Um, oh, that's awesome. We we try to. It's really tough to to forecast for this stuff because you just don't know what kind of pull each artist has. Mm. Um, but our goal is really to just barely service the demand that is created by these artists, and, and if if anything, short it very slightly. So there is some demand and scarcity created. Um, awesome. Again, it's really tough to tell who's going to bring a lot of customers in. Um, but we've had some instances where we've we've sold out in like minutes of hundreds of units that we that we work with really big artists on um, and that's kind of a bummer because you leave a lot of fans of the artist really disappointed and you need to do a reorder and sort of makes that first one a little bit less special and so really nailing that inventory purchase on that first go is is tough to do but really important and it just gives you this iterative ability you know on the pilot house side we're always talking uh, you know especially in this ios 14 age it's just so important that you're constantly iterating and that's that's a very that's a modern D2C mindset as well because it gives you that opportunity to go to your customers again and again as well with a reason to say hey yeah. we've got this limited edition we've got this event thing coming up it, and it allows you to deepen that relationship which I imagine you do over email is is email like a, a, a super powerful channel for you? I'll let Shane speak to to the tactics specifically. Yeah, for sure. And and to to go off of that a little bit, Liz, our head of marketing, and I, we were reviewing our product launch schedule for the rest of the year, and having that reason to, to these drops or to actually communicate to the customers, like a very uh, a good reason to open the email and to subscribe and know that new stuff is coming, versus you know getting an email that's just kind of like refresh or a smaller story tell or or use case. Um, so we have a packed rest of the year, which is super exciting. Um, and email, of course, is a, is a huge driver for us um, and balancing that, you know, frequency and, and segmentation and, and revenue driving and storytelling. It's something that we've really worked on and, and are continually working on, but really made huge waves in the last, I'd say, six months or so um, from a design perspective, content perspective, but also frequency and segmentation. So definitely a, a big lever for us um, in terms of reaching our customer and telling our story. Is that something that you're executing on? Do you have an email agency that you've brought in or is this your team internally? Yeah, so that's mostly Liz and myself. Um, so head of e-commerce and head of marketing, um, we we are in the nitty gritty on this too from, from a copy creative direction perspective um, and then all of the segmenting and, and touch points there. So we do it all in house and, and it's been really, really successful. Yeah. Email is owned, owning your own audiences is where it's at uh, over email. What about SMS? I was wondering, have you done much in the SMS space? So we, we just recently turned on Live Recover, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, with that app. Um, been kind of following that on Twitter a lot and in, in that space. We are going to explore it a little bit more 
here in the next couple of months um, as we see success with Live Recover and, and other touch points, but we don't really want to just turn on a channel just to turn it on. We want to be uh, have a good strategy and focus as to why we do that in the customer touch point. And from a user perspective, like we're not a high repeat rate business. You're not buying blankets every quarter like a subscription business, or we're not dropping a new flavor of a drink or or, or whatever it may be. So we want to make sure that the customer touch point is actually genuine and aligns versus spam. Like it, totally. we know that we could send out text messages and get revenue right after, but at, at what cost? So we yeah. want to, to, to balance that line of, of seeing where it makes sense. Nice. Yeah. I, I think that's what we hear again and again with SMS is you've got to have a very strong reason to, to, you know, it, to be, it's, it's a way of treating your customers like VIPs, but you just got to make sure that, that it's a real thing. And it's not just, you know, we're saying you're a VIP, but you're just getting an email in your text or whatever. Right. Yeah, but, exactly. but, even, but with your model of these drops, there's probably something there, especially, for, especially for big ones, you know, for, for people that you have that, that emotion of, oh man, I'm disappointed. I missed out. You can be like, you know, SMS will stop you from missing out ever again. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's something that we might test uh, later this year with with that specifically. Like we have a rewards program called the Blanket Fort where we'll do some early releases or some special sales and part of a community engagement effort. And I think that's kind of an obvious choice, like what you just called out. Um, sometimes we do an early release via email and have kind of trained our customers on that touch point. But I think there's there's definitely an opportunity to to push SMS a little bit in that space. Nice. Can we talk about the Blanket Fort a little bit? Uh, and what, wh whose brainchild was that? It's great. It's the best branded, uh, you know, <laughs> loyalty program I've ever heard. You can talk about that a little bit. I think it might have been Liz, our head of marketing, or it might have been even even the the partner. Um, so we we use uh, Yacht Post well as a as a loyalty rewards um, platform, but um, it's really just been another engagement tool to to focus on repeat rate and to build some sort of community, like community in terms of customer touch points, hasn't been a huge, like we're big on events and big on in-store support and things like that, but building that um, digital community has been important. And so something that we've had for about a year, but just started to put a little bit more investment in the last few months. And we'll continue again with this year with just our stacked launches and a lot of limited edition releases that we'll, we'll really leverage a lot more. Very cool. Um, Wiley, let's talk a little bit about the pivot that you guys made a little bit from you know, you're, you're a blanket that it has outdoor qualities, it's technical fabric, but you're also, you know, most people use blankets in their, in their homes more than they, you know, more than they camp the, the, the four weekends a year or whatever. So can you talk a little bit about how you've managed the messaging around the brand to, to, to really position yourself as more of a, of a homeware? Yeah. Um, I mean, generally speaking, well, first of all, I should say that that we've found through surveys that majority of use happens on a couch <laughs> yes. with our current product. Um, but we still, you know, position the bit, the business and the brand and the products as this really aspirational tool that will help you get outside and feel more comfortable in the outdoors. Um, but as far as actually positioning the brand for, for more in-home or home adjacent, um, we've put a lot of energy into content. that's kind of like in and around the home lately. Um, this includes patio backyard, Definitely a lot of just indoor content as well. Um, and the the positioning of it is pretty subtle in the sense that we just show it. We don't necessarily say, use this on your couch or use this on your in your campsite. Um, and it's really kind of up to the customer to use it where they want. I think that we have done a pretty good job over the years explaining that this product is extremely versatile. And generally people that have used materials like this in their everyday life, you know, like if you go to a grocery store with a puffer jacket on, 
you're going to be very familiar with the fact that these materials actually keep you comfortable in a big range of conditions, not right. just an outdoor recreation. Standard issue in the Pacific exactly. Northwest in Cascadia. Exactly. Here. Yep, exactly. I mean, I, when you go to the grocery store here in, in Portland, it's like every single person there has a technical jacket on. Yeah, and Blundstones. I don't yeah. know if that just came in Canada. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the boots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And again, and, and in, in these times, as we say, right, the, this year now that it's been of COVID, there's, you know, people are trying to get outside, but they're also looking for that comfort that you get yeah. from wrapping up and Netflixing, right? So yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's a balance in the marketing. Yeah, we've, we've actually found some pretty serious tailwinds with COVID environment. Um, definitely, you know, recreation kind of exploding, like you mentioned, um, but also you touched on just comfort. I mean, any apparel company I talk to that's got any sort of like loungewear or comfort line, they're doing really well right now. And the third thing is home improvement. People are spending way more time in the home and they're looking for ways to make their home space nicer. And blankets are sort of an accessory to that experience enhancement. So we've been able to have those three parallel conversations during COVID that are pretty meaningful to, to people right now. Nice. Okay, so I see in the notes here that Thomas made, we, we've got a note of ROAS. And if, we're, if we can talk about ROAS at any time for our audience, we've got to talk about ROAS. If people love talking about return on ad spend. Shane, can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the ROAS goals you have? I know, I know there's always a balance between uh, growth and, and profitability. It seems like you're really putting the focus on, on, on pretty high-end ROAS, like three, three to four ROAS, where a lot of people are you know, trying to scale with two or, or one and a half even in some cases. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your your thinking on ROAS? Yeah, I mean, th this really comes from from Wiley and and our head of our VP of Ops and VP of Finance. Like Wiley can speak more to to the profitability of the company and as to why this has been kind of important from the get go. But as we've scaled and been able to scale, especially in the last uh, twelve to eighteen months, it's just super important to our business. Wholesale is, is a big part of our marketing channel, but of course, uh, direct return. Uh, on digital ads is very important too. So we've just been able to, we have an incredible brand and incredible assets that we're able to use from photos and videos and, and we build some assets as well. But I think the product and the brand positioning and the approachability and use case just resonates really well. And also because our customer demographic is, is more wide ranging than maybe a lot of other DTC brands that are targeting you know 22 to 35, Coastal, like our our customer audience is a lot broader, and we're actually able to, like our spend, Facebook to Instagram, for example, is actually two to one on Facebook for Instagram. So if you think about the Facebook user is a little bit older, I think, um, and there's a lot more ad space on Facebook. It's actually interesting than maybe a, a more new age or or DTC brand that's really targeting that like eighteen to thirty. Nice. We've got a question here. Uh, you know, when you join D2C Plus, you get to come on the D2C podcast and, and ask questions. We've got Una here uh, with a great question. Uh, could you speak a little bit about your climate neutral certification? How complicated was it to get it? Did it require any product optimization? Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, so Rumpel has been climate neutral certified since 2019. Um, and climate neutral as a nonprofit organization was founded in 2019. So we were part of the original sort of founding cohort. I think there's about 15 or 18 brands. Um, the, the organization was actually formed uh, by two great CEOs that, that I happened to be fortunate enough to be acquainted with, Jonathan Cedar, who's the CEO of BioLite, and Peter Deering, who's the CEO of Peak Design. Um, and 
you know, I've been, I've been friends with Peter specifically for a number of years now. It's another San Francisco brand. And he reached out pretty early on in the formation process of Climate Neutral and asked if Rumpel would be interested in being part of this freshman cohort. Um, and when he told me about what they were doing, it just made a lot of sense. We've always known that there is the ability to measure and offset your carbon, but it's very costly, very time consuming and very precise. So really the ethos with Climate Neutral is they're less concerned about precision and more concerned about ease. So really what Climate Neutral does is it actually kind of overestimates your carbon footprint and then says, hey, if you're willing to, to pay a little more and overestimate here in, in favor of ease and speed, this is a good solve for you. Um, so we, we didn't really take any of the, of the routes of um, hiring external agencies to measure our footprint and everything. They built a tool for us that we can use and measure within a reasonable degree of accuracy what our carbon footprint is and then round up. Um, so the point there is really that we're, we're willing to pay a little bit extra for the time and ease of using this tool that they've created. Um, that's not to say it's not difficult. Um, and speaking to the product optimization question, we didn't actually do anything to our product. Generally speaking, uh, carbon offsets are, are more or less measured um, from your cost of goods. Um, there's a number of other factors in there, but it's, it's fairly directly correlated with your, your standard cost of goods. So um, we didn't actually change anything with, with our products there. Um, we just made sure we tracked everything we were doing and uh, that's scope one, two, and three all the way through and then round it up again and said carbon offsets are cheap enough these days where you can buy them um, pretty inexpensively. And so we elected to go with this route and it's the right solve for us because we didn't have to spend all this time and energy with external agencies. And you're ahead of the curve from 99% exactly. of the brands out there in this effort and you're know, making a difference. It's awesome. Yeah. And climate neutral is smart in that they understand that what they're building is, is a brand around carbon offsetting. And so they've created a suite of assets. And when you become climate neutral certified, you get to have this little climate neutral tag on your product that consumers can then start to recognize and look for when they shop. Um, so every brand that's climate neutral certified gets the same little tag that they're allowed to put on their products. And um, I like that because it, it loops you in with a number of other brands that other customers can feel like are doing the right thing. Nice. Uh, there's so much we could go into here, but I just, well, you mentioned the stack earlier, Shane, uh, Shane, and I was wondering, uh, what is, what is your marketing stack? What does it look like? So our, our marketing stack, we use Klaviyo, um, for marketing. We use Privy for some pop-ups, but you can do that in Klaviyo as well, but we use it for some cart level stuff and gift with purchase and things like that. Um, and then we use Shogun for our site. So part of our, our e-commerce experience. And then, you know, there are a few other kind of smaller widgets that we use, but those are kind of like our main stack. And then what I mentioned earlier is we, uh, analytics in my background is just really important. And so we use this tool called Mode Analytics, which is kind of the premier SQL editor um, that I used at Lyft and, and companies in San Francisco use and, and uh, more on the higher end uh, data analytics tool. So that's been just really, really important to the company. I love it. I can, not to geek out too much, but... Can you talk a little bit about how you manage your internal attribution between external sources like Facebook and Instagram and Google and your email, which you have such a big focus on as well? Yeah, I think that's that's something probably about two years ago when I first started is we, we went really deep in attribution and and like really deep with, with uh, tracking on the site and, and using this other tool called Segment, which is a lot of your, your site tracking. 
and with our analytics manager and we, and we got super deep and really when it came out to it, it, it aligned pretty well in line with um, in-platform reporting. Okay. I think some people take in-platform reporting as like source of truth. I think we take it as like, this is directional. You can, you can discount it at, at a certain rate um, versus spending so much work going on on your own attribution model and really get into like similar results. We did that work, which I think is important. It can vary by different brand. We have different touch points and we're also in wholesale. So we have a lot of other like marketing out there. Um, but really we kind of, we use in-platform reporting with some sort of discount uh, applied. Nice. Cool. Uh, well, this has been fantastic here. We've got a few uh, rapid fire questions potentially. Actually, no, there's one more thing I wanna, I, I'd like to ask you Wiley about your growth plans. Uh, I know you're trying to add some employees in uh, in 2021. Can you talk a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish in 2021? Yeah, so there's there's really kind of like two key growth strategies. Um, the first is continued distribution of our current core product, which we call Everywhere Blankets. And we've got a number of, of different um, activities there uh, and, and growth into new sales channels, actually. So this fall, I'm really pleased that we're going to be opening up um, some sports licensing with the NFL and select NCAA teams. Awesome. So that should be a really um, interesting test to see how that does. It's a that tailgate activity. blanket. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we've also uh, really started to, to put more energy into our corporate custom sales channel. So people, you know, if you want to get the DTC podcast logo on a rumble blanket, you could write in and we're setting up a good process to be able to turn that around really quickly for customers. So those are sort of like new channels that we're really trying to expand. That's of course, in addition to our core channels, which would be, you know, traditional U S wholesale, um, our direct consumer site, Amazon, and then some, some, uh, limited international distribution partners. That's sort of like bracketing the first growth strategy is continued distribution of our current core product. The I second piece of our growth strategy is really around in-home blankets. Um, and we've got a really beautiful wool blanket that we're launching this fall. Um, we're we're going to be partnering with a, with an exclusive retailer on that, which I'm not going to announce quite yet because it's a pretty exciting announcement. But um, I'm really excited about that product and seeing where that can go. And then finally, in 22, we've got a further extension on this in-home strategy um, with yet again, like another purpose built for in-home product. Um, so if I were to sort of bucket the two things that we're focused on, it's continued distribution with our current core product and then future extensions with more in-home focused products. Cool. And, and back to where we started a little bit, like, you know, you had this, this parting of ways with your original co-founder when you were kind of moving into other product categories, but are you feeling, and, and I know you, I, I, we have to talk about the beer blanket as well, but are you feeling now that you've sort of uh, got a hold of, of the blanket space a little bit more and been able to scale through it that you are kind of more open to the idea of expanding the category line? No, I think no. that we have a lot of ground to cover in blankets. Um, vast majority of blanket usage is on bed and we're really not on bed yet. Um, you know, I think with this wool blanket we're coming out with this fall, that's a start. Um, but it's, it's more than likely going to be an accessory on bed. It's not going to be sort of the main show on the bed. So our goal is to get on bed as the primary blanket that you use on your bed. Um, and then of course, continue building products for outdoor use, patio use, outdoor living, all things like that, but really cover like the full spectrum of blankets. How did the beer blanket come about? That came about as just a little trade show swag item uh, that we made just a few hundred of them and people just loved them um, at this trade show we were at. So we were like, all right, let's keep making these things. And, you know, it's a pretty inexpensive product for us to make. And when you talk about the cost of having a, a brand 
experience, it's like, that's about as cheap as you can get for us. You get product in hand very cheaply. So, I mean, we just give those things out by the tens of thousands. Um, we sell them on our site too, of course, and we sell them as little six packs and everything, but they're just like the perfect little gift, gift with purchase, upsell, or just free swag item at an event if you find us in real life. What's the take rate? I bet the take rate's pretty good on I your Shogun page. I mean, 100% you add those giving up. it out for free. <laughs> but, oh, they're just added yeah. on for free. Nice. It's just a value yeah. add. I don't know the actual yeah, we do it. full MSRP. Maybe Shane can, can speak to that. <laughs> Yeah, we, we do. Um, I mean, we do a lot of gift with purchase or seasonal like free beer blanket as, as one of our promos, but it is um, one of the talking about like cart increasers, um, cart upsells. It's an item that you can just really easily add to cart. And since we added that and two or three other items, like our, our UPTs units per transaction have gone up about 25%. So the take rate has, has gotten a lot higher in the last six months since implementing that tactic. That's awesome. Uh, the one question we like to ask everyone, and maybe you can even ask you guys separately, you can discuss whether your answers align. But if we were to give, uh, you know, if the Canadian government was like, okay, we got this another Portland company, we're forming Cascadia, we got to give them a $50,000 grant. Uh, where would you put that money like into your business today? Start when do you go for it, Shane? You want to go for it, Shane? Yeah, go for it. Grant, what are we talking about? Grant versus cash. Uh, it's cash. Uh, it's think... cash grant. You just get it. Yeah. You don't have to pay it back. No strings. Yeah, back. I think. I think something that we've really missed in the last year and especially with our brand and, and all of our different wholesale accounts and where we are throughout the U S is just in-person events and activations. And that's something that is, is core to our brand and core to how Wiley started the brand. Um, so I think there's so many cool activations that we've wanted to do um, and events like unique ones and then working with others that we haven't been able to. And so really excited to get back to a state of, the world where we can do those and and try some new things that we've been wanting to cool yeah i, I totally agree with shane um and and i would just call that kind of field service um field service marketing um we've we've done a lot of pivoting in the last 12 months to digital tactics just because that's where people are shopping for the most part but our product happens to be really tactile you know it, it, when you when you experience the product in real life and get your hands on it it's a, a, a really great way for you to understand what this thing is all about. So making sure that we still have support and put energy into giving people in real life experiences is a big priority for us as things start to open back up. And then filming that as your ad content would be just <laughs> deadly, right? Like, you know, if you were able to have these pop-ups of people experiencing your product, seeing how beautiful it is, seeing how it feels, and then, and then you're actually using that in, in your ad content for your digital stack, it could be, could be deadly. Nice. Okay. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I am eyeing already a D to C, uh, uh, you know, both beer, beer koozie, as well as a D to C branded blanket. I think that's a great idea. Uh, yeah. If people want to get in touch with you guys, learn more about, uh, about Rumpel, what do you suggest? Uh, so you can visit us at rumpel.com. That's our website. Um, Instagram is at go rumpel. Um, that's probably the easiest way. Shane, I don't know if you want to offer any sort of incentive to listeners. Um, while we're yeah, here. I'd say I'd say uh, throw in DTC at checkout and, and see what happens. Love it. We love it when we can drive some, some B2C sales on the D2C podcast. Uh, keep my acronym straight. I'm glad we talked about ROAS. Uh, thanks again, guys. I think we'll have to do this again sometime because I think, I think you guys got a, 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 ton to, uh, a ton to share. And I'll just say, we're, we're asking now, people who come on the podcast, we love to offer the opportunity to write a boardroom post. And, and Shane, if you, if I would love to target you to write a, a piece about some of your analytical mindset when it comes to, to, to building out a marketing stack, I think our audience would just really resonate with that. So I'll, I'll be in touch about that. Yeah, happy to help. 
Thanks again, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric.